KMTT. This is Esubek, and today is Thursday. A little bit late, late Thursday, but nonetheless, today is Thursday in the weekly shear on Agadot Bereshit. Today's uh, shear, I originally planned to skip the next Pasha that we've reached, Pasha Dalid, which is on the Pasuk. The Pasuk by Yomer Elokim Yehirakia. By Avdel Elokim, Benamai Melionim, Benamai Tachtonim, this amazing Pasuk on the third day. On the second day, excuse me. Pasuk on the second day, which describes, we, we don't even know what the Pshat is, before we get to the Medrash, of Mayim Elyonim, the upper waters, the lower waters, divided by the Vakia, which means sky in some sense, as the Pasuk says, that God called it Shamayim. It's very hard to know what the Pasuk is talking about, not merely, not merely in terms of modern science, what we understand. Where are these waters? But I think even before getting to that technical question, so let's assume that there are such things, but what does that to do with anything? We know the importance of, 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 sun and moon and plants and animals, those are part of our world. What is the significance? Why did God take water and put some of it above and some of it below it? It's hard to know just what this is talking about. And then when you read the Midrash, so frankly, I don't understand the Midrashim. The Midrashim here are very, perhaps reflecting the strangers of the Pasuk. Midrashim which are very strange, very difficult to understand. So I originally thought I would just skip it. On the other hand, Although I do not understand these Midrashim, they are highly suggestive. And so I thought I would give one shir, and maybe together, maybe you and I together, we can get a better understanding. I'm going to pick those Midrashim that I have a beginning of understanding, okay? <laughs> not the ones which make no sense in, in, to my mind at all. Um, but I still do need a lot of help. And so this week will be an exercise, perhaps in frustration, perhaps in discovery, as we learn one or two Midrashim from Parsha Dalid and, and related Midrashim about the nature of water, of rain, and of sky. The Suk says, Yehi rakia betoch ha-mayim, mavdil bein mayim lemayim. God divided the waters. Remember, the world was originally all water. And God divided the waters into two and then collected the waters to what we call the oceans. Yikavu Hamayim, the next pasuk. Yikavu, the waters should be collected, gathered into one place and that's how, that's how the dry land appeared. When the water was swept off the entire earth and gathered into certain uh, individual places into depths which could hold the waters and therefore allowing some dry land to appear. The very first Midrash in Pasha Dalet Aleph says, "Ktiv ha-mekareh b'mayim aliyotav." Sukkin Tehillim, Pere Kuf Dalet. God roofs his upper stories with water. Obviously, the Midrashes could understand that the aliyotav. The upper stories is the heavens, and the roof over them is made of water. Normally, 
king builds a great palace and the roof is made out of stone or wood or earth. But God is different. God roofs his world with water. End of Midrash. Okay, so in fact, that's what the Pasuk actually says. So Midrash is simply pointing it out. And it is amazing. The Midrash is merely saying, wow, God is different than human beings. True. But what's the difference? What's the significance of the fact that the roof of the world, so to speak, according to the Pasuk in Bereshit and the Pasuk in Tidim, is water. We have to understand what water signifies to Chazal. Right, let's continue a little bit further. I'm skipping now a few Midrashim, the Midrashim which described graphically how uh, the Havdalah, the distinction between the waters, took place. But what does appear immediately in the Midrash, and if I'm not going to go into the details, but just a, a, a linguistic point of view, the Midrash immediately begins to talk of Upper and lower, upper and lower. There are two kinds of waters, upper waters and lower waters. Okay, then the Midrash Gimel. Skip to Midrash Gimel says the following. Rabbi Pinhas. V'shem Rabbi Hoshaya Amar. Kehalal shebein ha'aretz la'rakia, kach yesh bein ha'rakia, למים העליונים. יהי רקיע בתוך המים ביניים ובינתיים. רבי פנחס said that the distance between the earth and the rakia and the heavens, whatever that means, but it's something that's very high, so too is the distance between the rakia, the heaven, and the upper waters. In other words, Chazal, like, like us, but even more so, have a very, very strong sense of gravity. Right? In Aristotelian physics and in the ancient world, and, and to most of us in our normal mode of thought when we're not remembering what modern physics has taught us, so we think that all things go down. And the earth is the down. The earth can't fall anymore because it's at the bottom. But everything else is up in the air and has to be supported. So you might imagine that this rakia that separates the upper and the lower waters is supporting the upper waters. Makes sense. Something has to support them. So we're here in the bottom with the oceans and the earth and above our heads is a rakia and on top of the rakia there's water. So he said no. No, 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 no. It's a separator, not a support. And therefore the distance between the rakia and the ocean is the distance between the rakia and the upper waters. So the upper waters are not supported by anything at all. And in fact, the distance between the earth and the rakia is immense. It may not even be measurable. I, I, I don't imagine, you know, this is my own personal opinion, I don't think that we should even attempt to understand that the rakia, for instance, is the, is the uh, extreme border of the atmosphere. Uh, th- th- this retranslation of Beshet into modern terms, I think, is a big mistake. To the ancients, there is no air, there is no atmosphere. And the rakia is, is, is the sky. So it might, it might be a particular thing up in the sky. I suspect very strongly in Chazal that it's more of a spiritual existence. And therefore the, immense, the distance is either immense or it's, or it's not measurable. 
because we're not dealing in, in normal physical distances here. But nonetheless, what the Medrash is saying is that these upper waters, which we're now trying to understand what they're doing, why are they part of our world, they're not merely immensely far from the world, but they don't bear a gravitational relationship to our world. They're not in the process of falling and being supported. And so it says, This betoch doesn't mean inside the water with water touching on both sides, because you know the, upper, the lower waters don't touch the rakia. So betoch means benayim u bentayim, in the middle. In between and in the middle. Benayim u bentayim. Betoch. Inside means in the middle, in between. Rabbi Tanchum explains, we should understand what he just said, what Rabbi Pinchas just said. Rabbi, Amar Rabbi Tanchum, Ana Amri, Taima. I'll explain to you why. If it had said that God made the Rakia and then separated the waters, I would have said that, okay, the Rakia's purpose is to do the actual separation. The Rakia is a thing which which gets stuck into the water and forms a a, a border or a mechitza, a, a wall of separation between the two waters. And then I would have said that the Al The water is resting on gufosharakia. Shomer uvein hamayim hashem al rakia uvein hamayim hashem mitachal rakia. So the rakia doesn't divide the waters, but divides between the waters. Harei hamayim edunim tuliim b'ma'ama. This is the important word that he adds. If Rabbi Pinchas said that the water is suspended miles and miles and miles above the rakia, then what's holding it up? So Rabbi Tanchuma gives you the answer. They are supported by the Word, by the Word of God. Not by a created thing. God creates the world, it's supposed to work. He creates the world in a manner that now makes sense. Well, the Maimelinim don't make sense in the creation part of the world. God created the Maimelinim, and in the, the rules of the world, they should be falling. Because it's really impossible for anyone in the ancient world to imagine that things don't fall. This is way before Newtonian physics. But they don't fall. And they're not attracted. They're not, they're not even... They're not, they're not attracted to the earth. Why not? Something which is non-natural, supernatural, outside of creation. Bima'amar. There's a distinct word of God which holds them, holds them suspended in the air. Amarabi. Acha. A picture. Not too clear to me what the picture is, so if it doesn't work, but nonetheless, I will mention it. Kadein kandila upeirotehen elu mehagishamim. Like a candle or a lamp. Not sure what the word exactly means. It's the modern word candle, but it means like a lamp. Upeirotehen and its fruits. That's an unusual word. So there are different comments here, but I think apparently what it means is, the best meaning is, either the relationship of the flame to the candle which is above it, but not touching it. A truly wondrous and amazing thing until you get so used to it that you lose the sense of wonder as a child. But even adults, sometimes you stare at a candle and you watch the flame dancing, not quite touching the candle itself. Or, perhaps this is a better explanation in terms of the realia of ancient times, 
It's where you have a uh, the wick floating. You put in a little bit of water. You put oil on top of the water. In order to fill up so the candle should be, so the flame should be high. And then you light an oil lamp. And so for the whole thing is floating above the actual utensil, above the lamp. The flame, or the, including the wick, is somehow magically floating ab- above the lamp. But that's that that's the that that's the idea. Okay, let's take a bit of a pause here. So the Pasuk says that there's upper and lower waters. Chazal come and say the upper waters are Tluyim Bimaamar. They're immensely distant from the outer limits of our world. The heaven is the outer limit of our world, and the Maimlionim is not part of the heaven but distant from the heaven and it's suspended magically supernaturally in the air I mean not in the air in, in the in space in our language well we still have to know what those words represent to understand what it means but before we get to that just to point out that this is a serious midrash the midrash continues in the same vein and there's not just one Little Maimah. This whole parak is based on this idea of the waters being suspended. Kuti Echad Sha'alat Rabbi Meir. It's apparently a well known view among Chazal. It was so well known that the Goyim knew that the Jews held this. This was a classic Jewish opinion that there is water suspended in the middle of nowhere. As Kuti Echad Sha'alat Rabbi Meir, a non Jew asked Rabbi Meir, Samaritan, Efshar Maimalim Tulimam do you really believe that? The upper waters are suspended with no more than a word. It should require immense force, a superstructure. Are suspended merely by the word? Amalo hand, and then he proved it. He proved it by doing a bit of a trick. Amalo haveli afachas, bring me a, uh, I guess a tube. Hevilo afachas, natan aleha tashal zahav, lo amdu You put it in water, or you fill it up with water, and you put of it a a golden um, tray. And the water, of course runs out of the tube. Tashel Kesef, silver train, on top of the open tube. Lo amdu hamayim, the water flows out. Keben shenatan etzba'o amad hamayim. Put your finger on top and the tube remains full of water. Okay, we all know the explanation. But may also knew that it wasn't a miracle. He may not have, I don't know, he may not have known about Epesha, but, but he knew the difference between his finger and the Tashel Kesef, and the reason is your finger is, is elastic, and therefore seals the top. I'm sure you understood that. Amalo etz The guy said to him, okay, of course it works, you put your finger there. He said to him, aha, uma ani shani basar vadam, I'm only a human being, and my little finger can hold up water, as etz ba'osha kadosh b'ochu, alachat kama v'kama, hoi ma'im elyonim tuim b'mama. So therefore the little finger, or the, the word of God, can surely do it. Words, what was he pointing out? What was he saying? It was a miracle. He, any human being can do it with his finger. What he's saying is you don't need strength. Water stands, we're getting closer to, under, to first asking and then answering the question, what does water represent? Why is water different than other things? But, but immense quantities of waters, of water, can be supported by, not by strength, not by steel, not by gold and silver. By the finger of a human being. There's some sort of an affinity, some sort of a a a a um, 
a connection between water and human beings and therefore surely God. God has power over water that's different than his power over the earth. He utilizes strength to control the world but the waters he controls just by saying so. Okay, what, what, what do I think is going on here? It's clear to me that water in Chazal represents life. Life. We, we, we've become a little bit divorced from this obvious universal human uh, fact since our water is so prevalent and comes out of faucets. But the ancient world was extremely, extremely, extremely aware and influenced and overpowered by the fact that human being has to find water and water comes from the sky. Comes some, especially in Eretz Yisrael, a land without natural sources of water, unlike the land of Egypt, as the Pasuk in Devarim says. But obviously in other places as well. Comes the summer, comes the dry season, and you run out of water. And you begin to search for water, and you have to make sure that you have the right sources, and therefore where do your eyes turn? Your eyes turn to heaven. Water is life. Much more than food. Food, you can go a couple of days without. Water, the Gemara says you're going to go three days without water. Basically, you can... Uh, unbelievably difficult to go one day. Water represents life. And not merely because I made the connection. It's, it's an instinction, an instinctive reaction of human beings. A person needs to be revived. How do you revive him? With water. Water represents life. I think that's what the Midrashim are talking about. It might very, very, very well be that that's what the Psukim are really talking about. And it's not Jewish Pepshat, but but I leave that for you. I think the Midrashim are talking about the source of life. And just to give one indication of this, I think there are a lot of Midrashim which, which would sort of indicate this, but I'm going to jump to a Midrash that's found only way later in Sefer Beishit. It's beyond the purview of this shir normally. Um, but I think it's a classic example to demonstrate my point about what does rain mean in Parsha Ayin Gimun in Medrash Rabbah. It's in Parshat Vayetze concerning when Rachel Imenu gives birth. Rachel was a Akara. She was infertile. And then she gave birth. It says, Vayiskor Elohim et Rachel. And God remembered Rachel. There was, it says the same thing about Sava too, but anyhow, this Midrash is on Rachel. In order for her to give birth, God had to remember her, had to redeem her, had to save her. So Midrash adds the following, Rabbi Tanchuma B'Shem Rabbi Bibi Amar, Shlosham Maftechot B'Yad HaKadosh Baruch Hu. There are three keys in the hand of God. What does that mean? Everything is in the hand of God. But it means that Chazal believe that, that most things in the world, God runs through agents. Call them angels, call them natural law, call them intermediaries of any sort. But the fact is, 
that if you want to heat your home, you, you light wood. And the wood is in the ground. God has created everything and God stands behind everything. But, but there are natural laws. There are natural things. There are perhaps angels in, in the explicit words of Chazal who control these things. But three keys, three things are locked up. And like the king has someone who carries his keys. Now these three keys are kept by him. The President of the United States is a black box. It's kept by him. The king of the world has a has key bearers. He gave them jobs, gave them the keys, gave them the instruments. Three keys stay by him. And those three keys are Mafteach Shel Kivura, the key of the grave, Mafteach Shel Gishamim, the key of rain, Umafteach Shel Rechem, the key to the womb. And all these three things are Psukim. The talks about the resurrection of the dead. In other words, the key to the grave is the key to life after death, to resurrection. There is no natural process. There is no angel who has been given power over such a thing. It's a direct act of God. God will open up His great uh, treasury, His wonderful treasury in the sky to give you rain. The key to the womb. God remembered Rachel and opened her womb. What is coming to these three things? Well, the key to the womb is the key to life. The key to the grave is the key to life. I'm certain that the key, the reason why the key to the rain is kept by God, Chazal claim you should not view it, whatever you learn in science, whatever you learn, don't view it as being a natural process controlled by God. No, no, no. It's a direct act of God. And the reason is because like the womb and like the grave, the key to rain is the key to life. And life, God keeps, in it. God gives life. God is a direct connection, life, excuse me, is a direct connection to God. Life flows from God into man. It's not granted to man. You have it. And God could take it away, but right now you have it. The way we have wood, the way we have fire, the way we have the ground, the way we have natural laws, no, you don't have life. It's a process. You have to you have to be connected to it. And connected to it means connected directly to God who holds the key by himself. Let's put that as an example. Geshem means life. So I think these Midrashim are talking about is that life as a force, life as something which which, which fills our world, which gives, which gives meaning, which gives life to our world, is a great thing which has been divided into two, half below and half above. Okay, I'm getting close to the point where I'm beginning to get confused. I'm going to try to explain what I mean, but I'm not sure that... I, I know that I don't have it fully understood. You have to... You, you're going to help me out now. Everyone's going to help. Together we're going to figure this out. The source of life is above. 
Now, it's not because Chazal didn't understand necessarily where rain comes from. Uh, there is a midrash uh, later on in uh, when uh, in when Gan Eden is created, and and it says that the the Gan before there was a man, so there was water from Neharot. The rivers provided the water. The mist rose from the earth and then watered the land. So the Drash says that was an original plan of God that the earth should uh, receive its water from the land. But then he changed and said, no, 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 no. I decided it should come from above. And there there's a Midrash that talks about the disagreement of, of different opinions as to uh, where does rain come from? Where does rain come from? Give me just a second till I find the medrash that I'm looking for. Uh, it's in Parsha Yud Gimel. Medrash Tet Yud Yud Aleph. Kach haita ha'aretz shotam itchila. Originally, the earth drank from below. Bechazar ba kadosh baruch hu shalot ha'aretz shotam elamila malan that the earth should should drink should receive its water from above. Then the Midrash says, Somebody says, well, we all know that rain falls, but it comes from the oceans. That, that's the opinion of man and science. Right? We have this, this, this cycle of evaporation and, and uh, precipitation. How could it be from the oceans? The oceans are salty. So he said, that's okay. The salty water... Rises and becomes sweet in the clouds. This is more or less correct. I mean, right? The, uh, the evaporation and precipitation turns salty water into saline water into fresh water. So the, 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 his picture is that basically what we believe today that uh, uh, the water rises and then falls back down. So the, the heavens or the, uh, the sky, the, the clouds are in the middle of a cycle that begins below and ends below. But Rabbi Yeshua said, no, 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 the water comes from above, not from, the, not from below. As it says, Limtara Shamayim Tishtamayim, that very same pasuk about the, the, the uniqueness of Eretz Yisrael, which has no rivers, or has no rivers of significance, and therefore, you will drink water from the skies. Hananim mitgabrim in Eretz, but he's aware of the fact, <laughs> it's not such a modern scientific thing, he's aware of the fact that clouds uh, arise from the ground. You, you see mist rising. The clouds uh, arise from the earth and arise up to the sky. The word uses and then those clouds receive the water from above. So, Chazal were aware of two, at least two possibilities, and that continues on the next Midrash as well. Rabbi Yerachim Bishlakish, one says from the above, one says from below. Chazal were not locked into the position that the actual physical water comes from above. But I think that even if you held like Lakish and you held like the second opinion of Eleza, who says that the actual water that falls on us began its journey below, I think spiritually Chazal is saying that there's some connection between the upper and the lower waters. Even if they were merely separated, and now we're living within a cycle of the lower waters, but true life consists of the two waters together. They've been separated by God. And what these Hashem is saying is that there's a real tremendous separation here. The picture which is so clear to Chazal and, and to all ancient people and to us as well, as I said, that the earth is the center and everything falls to it, Chazal say that it's not true. There's God, that, that's what should be true. But God separated and made 
two centers to the world. There's a Maim Elyonim, and they don't, at the moment, exist in relationship to the Maim Atachtonim. They're suspended b'ma'amar. They're suspended. They're not falling towards earth. That's a tremendous revolution in human thought. The world is not, the, the ultimate of the world is not centered on, on the lower world, on the earth. In what respect? Gravity is still true. Uh, they, they're not Talmaic. They're not Newtonian, for sure. So the earth, physically, the earth is the center of the world. But life is an exception. Mafteach shel chayim is in the hands of God. Life is not quite, is not part of the world in that sense. Life has two poles. Part of life is here, and part of life is suspended. It's immensely far away. And these two things exist in relationship. If you think that the rain that falls on our head began its journey in the upper waters, and then there's a medrash which I'm not going to read now because we're running out of time, that the guy says to one of the Jews, if the water's fallen from the sky, then how come it doesn't empty out? And he says to him, God's outside is infinite, don't worry about it. So then for sure, the medrash is saying is that one of the facets of our life is not rooted in the natural world, but in another world. But even if you hold that kishlakish and you say that the water that falls, the water that I actually drink is part of a cycle, that's the maimetachtonim, but you have to remember this was, this was divided by God after the creation of the world. The, the whole immense body of water equals life has been separated into two. And true life or full life or, or ultimate meaning of life is somehow connected to these two things which are separated separated immensely bifocal divided you can't you know present life to put them together there's no the rakia doesn't support the waters the waters are independent so yes as we talked in the previous weeks about the idea of heavens and earth and the connection between them, all those Medrashim came to create a unity. But today, when you come to, down to this facet of the heavens, the word of the heavens, Medrash is the opposite. Don't try to put it into a unity. It's not, as we once mentioned, a pot and its cover. So maybe the beginning of Medrash, the ultimate cover of all is water. Life surrounds everything. But that's almost from God's point of view. Those are the aliyot of God, the upper stories of God. When you look at it from our point of view, you, you can't put the two of them together. The distance is immense. The Rakia is in the middle. The Rakia is our outer bounds. And the Rakia is Maim Elyonim's lower bounds. Does that mean that there is no connection between the two? Let me conclude with a startling, startling Medrash. Or better yet, two startling medrashim, very closely related. The first one is in Parsha Hey, a little bit further on in the very next pasuk, which is still talking about water. Yikavu hamayim shemitachat hashamayim lemakom echad, creation of the seas. Parsha Hey, medrash David, Rabbi Tanchum. Excuse me, Amar Rabbi Brachia. Lo pirshu. It's really going back to our pasuk. It's out of place. When God divided the waters and the lower waters had to leave the upper waters, 
they separated themselves by crying, with cries. They, they, when they left, think of the picture of two people. One is going away, so they're very close to, closely related. They're, they're, they're in love, and when one leaves, they have to go. It's time to go. You have to go, and you cry as you go. Lo pilshu amai atachonim elonim elu bebechia. Hadar dechtir pasuk niyov mebechina harot chavash. compares it that says when the waters fall they fall with coal and he says what coal is that? it means bechet it says kol that's the pasuk about Rachel mevaka ed baneha someone crying the mother crying for her lost children he says the separation of the lower waters from the upper waters was like the separation of Rachel from its cho- her children. But one more midrash, a parsha later. This is what he's talking about, the sun. But it refers back to the rain as well. So it's a little bit out of place for us, but it, it, it belongs there. Parsha Vav, creation of the sun and the moon. The midrash says as follows. Midrash Zayin, Amar Rabbi Levi. Gimel Dvarim, Kolan Holech Misof Ha'olam Va'ad Sofo. There are three things that their sound goes from the beginning to the end of the earth. From the end of the earth to the ends of the earth. In other words, it's not a sound. It's a it's a scream. It's a screech. But we're in the middle and we don't hear it. For Elohim, Hayom, meaning the sun, Hagishamim, rain, not the original separation, but the everyday rain makes amazing amounts of noises, but we don't hear. And the soul departing the body. Why the sun? You think the sun just sort of sweeps through the sky easily, like, like, a, like a fish through water, like a, like, a, like a bird through the air? It's like a saw grinding through the earth, grinding through the wood. So that, he doesn't bring a, a source. He just says it's true. The sun moves through the sky, not, not effortlessly, but like a saw, scratching, cutting, tearing apart the sky to allow it to pass through. Okay, I don't know what that means. It's not my problem today. Kshami minai, what about the rain? Amar bilevi. Pasukin tehidim. The depths to the depths call. He apparently interprets the depths to the depths. When the drops fall, the drops call back from where they're coming. I think it's like the previous Medrash. When you're a when you when you leave your loved one, you you call the whole time saying Abba Ima that's what the vein is doing we don't hear makes a lot of sense to us the soul doesn't wish to depart the soul hates to depart from the body life is precious self-preservation we don't hear the soul screaming because our ears are blocked okay what is Midrashim saying there's some connection between the Maimim and the connection is so strong, the unity 
what should be the unity. The original unity is so strong that the situation then, when God made the separation, and the situation today when drops fall from the heaven, is tearing apart that unity, like a child from its mother, like the soul from the body. But we don't hear. We live in oblivion. We think the water is simply here. We think life is part of our lives. We think life is something that God gave us. It's found in rivers. It's found in the seas. It's found in the, in the oceans. It's found in my sink. It's found in my, in my faucet. Oh, but a faucet, you have water. And you have life. The Midrash is saying that unlike everything else, science can discover, science can understand, God made the world and gave it to us to run. Life is ultimately different. And even the water that you think you have, and even if Beish is right, and the water is circulating within a closed system of ocean to cloud to earth, that's an illusion. It appears to be true, but that's because you don't hear. You don't hear how, if I can even put it into the woods in the Midrash, so maybe the water rises from the ocean, gets up to the cloud, but when it has to fall again, it remembers where it really comes from, it remembers where its real roots are, and it cries, and calls, and screams, in pain. And we think it's found in a faucet. The ultimate roof of the earth, the ultimate roof of all, the ultimate roof of the upper worlds, is God's water. I repeat, I think that means life. But life isn't a biological process. Life is God's water. And our water, which is a biological process, we can understand our water. We we have ways of doing it. We we, we learn biology and other things. But it's the same water. And the separation is artificial. The separation is immense. When you don't you don't need to use divine tools to study biology because the separation is immense, but it's false. It's God has placed this dualism in the world. He's made us think that we have water below, but there's also water above, and it's the same water, and it's originally one body of water. It's separated by heaven, and that separation yearns constantly to be put together. Okay, that, that tension, that dynamic tension between the separation of the waters. Life divided into two, spiritual, divine life, and, and, and human life, biological life. That separation is both immensely true and ultimately false at the same time. And if our ears would would have would hear well, we'd go crazy but if our ears could hear maybe once or twice the crying of the rain as it falls and we'd feel the yearning of human life for its divine source and identity not just source but identity water equals water our lives would be totally different that's it for today we will get back next week to I think more normal Midrashim and hopefully we've increased our understanding this week. This is Ezra Beck wishing you Kol Tov from KMTT, Kimitzion, Tetzei, Torah, Udavar, Hashem, Mi Kol Tov.